Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If you like this podcast and you want it without advertisements, head over to Patreon.com and become a member of The Brian McClanahan Show. For 10 bucks a month, you get all the podcasts ad-free, including video, and you also get a special Q&A podcast. I'm only going to answer your questions, your listener-generated episodes, through those Q&As. So head over to Patreon.com. Get this podcast ad-free, no ads, not even things like this, and you really do help support The Brian McClanahan Show with really cool stuff on the back end. Did Abraham Lincoln screw up America? Absolutely. So did a litany of other presidents, and I've got all of them in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. It's one of my favorite books that I've written. You're really going to love it, and you might even be shocked about who I include in those nine presidents, including Abraham Lincoln. Pick it up wherever books are sold online. I guarantee you'll love it. A bunch of U.S. historians have decided that Trump needs to go. And they've told the Supreme Court that. Now, this shows you why the history wars are important. Volume infinity. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClendon Show. All right, well, let's talk about this new round of historical stupidity. And I mean that. A bunch of historians have decided to sign, in fact, there's 25 Civil War and Reconstruction scholars have signed a, a brief, an amicus brief, to say that Trump should remove from the ballot in Colorado. Now, I've talked about this issue several times on this show. And I've talked about the history wars, but this is why they're important. Now, if you look at the list of who these 25 scholars are, it includes all kinds of people, including James McPherson um, as one of them. Um, there's some funny ones like um, uh, Brooks Simpson. Taliban Brooks is on there, of course, because, you know, Taliban Brooks is a conservative. And, well, I'll say this. I bet you Victor Davis Hanson would agree with some of this because, you know, Donald Trump is Jefferson Davis. Uh, or at least the Democrats are Jefferson Davis. I'm confused. If everybody's Jefferson Davis, then who is Jefferson Davis? I, I, I don't know. But when you look at the list of scholars, you know, Manisha Sinha is also on this list. Of course, Karen Cox, uh, Adam Dumby, not Dumby, it's Dumby from Auburn University. He's on the list. Of course he is. Uh, one of the ones that I found interesting, uh, Stephen Hahn, of course, is on the list. Uh, one of the ones I found interesting was Paul Escott. Um, Paul Escott wrote a, a couple of pretty good books, but I mean, it's not surprising. He's a leftist. Um, and uh, also uh, Thomas Brown from South Carolina, of course. So you have some, some interesting folks on this list. And what they're doing in this particular amicus brief is outlining how uh, the Republicans in Congress in the 1860s would have wanted Donald Trump kept off the ballot in Colorado for insurrection. Now, I, I emphasize that because 
the Republicans in Congress, or more importantly, I should say, Salmon P. Chase. Now, this is a really interesting historical argument. Is the 14th Amendment self-executing? I've talked about that on this show. Can you just say, well, the 14th Amendment says that we can keep people off the ballot and anybody can decide that? Um, it's very clear that Congress would have to get involved in this. Now, in this amicus brief, the historians make the case, oh, no, 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 that's not true. And, of course, they bring up the trial of Jefferson Davis. Now, or the potential trial of Jefferson Davis for treason. One person that didn't sign the amicus brief was Cynthia Nicoletti, who wrote a very good book on the Jefferson Davis trial that never happened. And she takes a lot of time to explain what happened in uh, this period of time when the 14th Amendment was going through the ratification process, and it was ratified, supposedly, in 1868, and how that played a role in Salmon P. Chase's understanding of what Davis was going to be doing. In fact, there was a lot of opposition to the 14th Amendment. And Salmon P. Chase thought, well, here's what we need to do. Uh, you say, uh, here's what I'm going to do. He, he counseled Davis's counsel that they should use that defense, that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is self-executing, that that was the punishment that Congress thought, that he could be kept out of office. That was the only punishment there, and that he couldn't be tried for treason. And if they presented this to the courts, he would be in favor of it. This amicus brief makes it seem like that was the dominant position, that everyone thought that. What's really fascinating, if you actually go out and look at the history of it, and of course they say, well, Davis later, I'm, I'm sorry, Chase later backtracked on this, but we don't, that's not important. What he said is here. <laughs> they, they refute their own argument. But what's important about it is that, you know, even Davis's attorney brought this up. I'm not sure why, he said, I'm not sure why Chase is actually bringing this issue up. We think it's because there's a lot of opposition to the 14th Amendment, and maybe if we can use this and the arguments to keep J Davis uh, out of out of uh, jail, essentially, and maybe prevent an execution, uh, maybe the South would support the 14th Amendment. Simon P. Chase wanted to be president of the United States. This was a ploy for him to move into a position where he could have some political boost in the South. Well, he's the guy that saved Jefferson Davis. Maybe the South will support him, or at least some Southerners would support him, over someone else, like uh, maybe a U.S. Grant. Remember, uh, when Grant was up for election in 1872, there was no Democrat opposition. The Democrats didn't run anybody. You had Horace Greeley as the opposition. Horace Greeley was a Republican. The Democrats supported Horace Greeley because, well, they didn't really have a candidate, you see. It was, it was a disaster politically for the Democrats. 68 they had one, but not 72. And eventually they had another one in 76. But um, it's, it's amazing how the, the politics of the age don't seem to factor into this. And that's the problem with modern historians. And I'm going to read the article that gets into this. It was in the, uh, the Guardian. That's the problem with modern historians. What they're doing now is regurgitating the myths of the 1850s and 60s. Or basically, they're saying American history is what the Republicans said it was in the 1850s and 60s. There's no opposition. In fact, when this issue was brought up in the Davis potential Davis trial, the prosecution said that's not what the 14th Amendment means. That's not what it means. They brought up all kinds of reasons why this couldn't happen. If you're saying that someone is disqualified for office without ever going to trial over the issue... Well, then what you have just done 
is saying that the person is, this is a bill of attainder. Now, the the defense of David said, that's not true. It's not a bill of attainder uh, because, you know, the, uh, there, there's X, Y, and Z. But they're saying it's a bill of attainder. The, the, the actual prosecution said the 14th Amendment doesn't work this way. You've just violated the Constitution. You can't do that. There's a specific prohibition in the Constitution against bill of attainders. And what you've just done is allowed a state to have a bill of attainder. And so, uh, look, I mean, I think that's a very strong argument. The prosecution was pointing out the holes in Chase's argument. And in fact, when this was actually used, the other judge said, no, this isn't how, it, this isn't how the 14th Amendment is interpreted. So they've cherry-picked one guy. Of course, he was the chief justice. They've cherry-picked one guy to say that, well, uh, this is how the 14th Amendment should have been interpreted. Uh, this is how Republicans thought you know, it was going to be in, in, into the future. It wasn't just to handle issues right now in this war. The problem is Trump has not been convicted of insurrection in any court. Not one. Not one. So if he hasn't been convicted of insurrection, if there's nothing on the book saying this guy's an insurrectionist, well, then how can you say that Trump committed insurrection? And Congress still has to be involved in this. Now, again, in this amicus brief, the, uh, the scholars say, well, that, that, that's not an issue. Uh, that, that's not a problem. Uh, we, we can work around that. that, that none of this matters, you know, because uh, these people really did think uh, that, that insurrection was, uh, was, was egregious crime and, and uh, we could, they could just do whatever they wanted. You didn't have to have Congress support to do anything. Congress didn't have to do it. It's funny how these people would say, well, you know, the Congress doesn't have to do this. The states can do it. Uh, the states can actually handle this issue. They can execute the laws of the central government. Yet on the border of Texas, you wouldn't hear a peep out of these people saying Texas can enforce the border either. No, no, that's the central government. That's the only thing they can do. The central government's the only one that can do that. <laughs> They're so inconsistent. But the amendment's clear that Congress has to has to pass appropriate legislation for this. If there's no appropriate legislation, then there's nothing happening here. You see. Now look, the states have a lot of control over their ballots. I've pointed out on this show, though, that in the 1860s, uh, that the Republican Party controlled the ballots. The Democrat Party controlled the ballots. It wasn't a state issue. It started happening that way beginning after the war, but uh, the parties themselves controlled the ballots. The states didn't control who was on or who was not on the ballot. But clearly, these dopes want to have some type of political involvement for the historical profession, and they are getting rid of all notion of objectivity. What's hilarious about this is that these people would run around saying, we're objective, we're just objective historians, here's the evidence. Uh, even if the evidence doesn't show that what we're saying is correct, it's still the evidence because this is what the Republican Party said in the 1850s and 60s, or more importantly, the 1860s after the amendment was ratified. And they're ignoring what other Republicans said at the time. This isn't the case. You see, the problem is we have a bunch of activists masquerading as historians, including... Uh, people that have a big mouth on social media, like Brooke Simpson, who is completely worthless. When he gets caught lying, he just changes the, the narrative. Well, I, I said this. I, I, no, actually, I said this. No, no, no. You, you actually said this. 
So let me get into this piece. Is at The Guardian. U.S. historians signed brief to support Colorado's removal of Trump from the ballot. 25 of the Civil War and Reconstruction, 25 historians of the Civil War and Reconstruction field, a U.S. Supreme Court, filed a U.S. Supreme Court brief in the attempt by, of the attempt of Colorado to remove Donald Trump from the ballot under the 14th Amendment, which bars insurrectionists from running for office. 25 historians of the Civil War and Reconstruction period filed a U.S. Supreme Court brief. For historians, the group wrote, Contemporary evidence from the decision-makers who sponsored, backed, and voted for the 14th Amendment, ratified in 1868, is most probative. Analysis of this evidence demonstrates that decision-makers crafted Section 3 to cover the president and to create an enduring check on insurrection, requiring no additional action from Congress. You see, this is what these people, we we just have to do this. We just have to do this. Congress doesn't need to do anything from from the decision-makers who sponsored, backed, and voted for it. Does that mean is is that how it was always interpreted? I mean, there were people that weren't that weren't in favor of that. They didn't think that that's what it meant. Even Republicans have said that. So what they've done essentially is said, okay, well, here's what the Republicans of 1868 said. Here's what the Republicans of 1867, 1866 said. Here's what the Republicans said. Even if there was a substantial opposition to this throughout the United States, this is what the Republicans said. So what we've done now is decided that American history is the Republican Party of 1866, 1867, and 1868. That's American history. And that anything else to the contrary doesn't matter. Now, we know the Davis camp used this. Davis's defense team used this because Salmon P. Chase said you should. But why? And they actually get into that. And they disprove their own argument when Chase says, well, wait a second here. This is a, in a following case. And they actually discount that. Well, yeah, but that was a narrow thing. And, you know, oh, this this could happen if, you know, somebody was in office before uh, the 14th Amendment, but then anyone that came after that, it doesn't apply. Chase was all over the place. Why? Because Chase wanted to be president of the United States. You never get into the why. The P, the, This amicus brief never gets into the why. Chase was hardly a reliable source on this. Lawyers for Trump argue that the presidency is not an office, as described in the 14th Amendment, that only congressional action can stop someone from running, and that Trump did not incite an insurrection. The last part is accurate. The other parts, I think you could say that certainly um, the presidency is an office. I mean, I think that's a pretty weak argument of the Trump team, to be honest with you. But I do agree that only Congress can execute the 14th Amendment, that the states cannot. It's pretty clear in this particular situation. Now, again, the states have a lot of control over their own elections. Uh, There was one argument against the Constitution that the federal government would have too much control over elections, that it would actually cause problems, which is rather interesting. But anyways... Trump was impeached in Congress for the second time for inciting an insurrection. The Capitol attack of January 6th, an attempt to overturn defeat by Joe Biden, now linked to nine deaths, more than 1,200 arrests, and hundreds of convictions. Now linked to nine deaths, none of which took place because of the event, except for one. And that was the shooting in the Capitol of a Trump supporter, not anybody else. So one death is linked to it, but that's not what they're saying. And 1,200 arrests and hundreds of convictions, all politically motivated. 
We know all this. The evidence is all coming out. I mean, it's all pretty clear what's happening here. Now, we know that there are people that were doing stupid things that day, bust, busting in windows and smashing in doors and things like that. I mean, that happened, right? That did happen. We also know a lot of people were let in. I mean, I think to say that this was just a peaceful move into the Capitol is, is wrong. You can't say that. People were doing stupid things. But were all those people that were smashing in windows and busting in doors, were all those people arrested and convicted? We know a lot of them have not been. So why not? I mean, who were these people? We know that um, at least the evidence points in a direction that there was some type of instigation by the feds on this issue. I mean, perhaps. There's all kinds of things out there. None of this has really been successfully determined what happened here yet. After all these years. And I'm not certain we're ever going to have it. I mean, there's a lot of damning evidence now about the pipe bombs and all kinds of things out there. This is, this is interesting that all these things come out. So, what happened? We know Trump has never been convicted of an insurrection. So if he's never been convicted of committing insurrection, well, then you can't call him an insurrectionist and keep him off the ballot. That's very important. Just because you think he is, just because your opinion is that he was, doesn't mean he actually was. And this is the other issue with the Jefferson Davis situation. It's why Andrew Johnson issued a blanket amnesty. Cynthia Nicoletti's book gets into that because it was going to have to be litigated. And there was a belief that no one in a jury trial, would actually say that Jefferson Davis or any other Southerners were insurrectionists. They committed treason. They didn't do it. So they just moved in a different direction. Use the 14th Amendment and have a, a blanket amnesty. That was the decision. Because you know what? Even though Davis's legal team thought he might lose, he might have, there was also the chance he might win you see, in a jury trial, which would have had to have happened. Impeached with the support of 10 House Republicans, but acquitted when only seven Senate Republicans voted to convict, Trump now dominates his party in its, pres in its presidential primary. 91 criminal charges, 17 for election subversion, civil trials and ballot ch challenges notwithstanding. Well, why? Because this wasn't an insurrection. Maine has also sought to remove Trump from his ballot, ruling delayed like that in Colorado, while the Supreme Court considers the issue. Oral arguments are set for February 8th. This is why the historians did this. Oral arguments are for February 8th, and they want this amicus brief before the Supreme Court so they can make their historical case. Of course, in it, there are holes. Amicus briefs allow interested parties to make relevant arguments. Earlier this month, nearly 180 Republicans joined a brief in support of Trump. The 25 historians, among them James McPherson of Princeton, the preeminent Civil War scholar, pointed to 1860s congressional debate. Senator Reverend Johnson of Maryland, a Democratic opponent of the 14th Amendment, challenged sponsors as to why Section 3 omitted this the president. Republican Lot Moral of Maine replied, let me call these senators' attention to the words or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. Johnson admitted his error. No other senator questioned whether Section 3 covered the president. And again, I, I'm not, I wouldn't dispute that. The problem is this thing is not self-executing. That's the issue. And what's also the issue, of course, is that uh, the 
question of insurrection hasn't been answered. Trump has not been convicted of insurrection. Also, Congress had to get involved in this, and they're saying that Congress didn't. The historians also cite Andrew Johnson in 1868, the first president impeached, referring to himself as chief executive officer. Pointing out that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is self-executing and that no former Confederate instantly disqualified from holding office under Section 3 was disqualified by an act of Congress. The historians also noted that Jefferson Davis, the Confederate president, cited his own disqualification as reason an indictment for treason should be quashed. Now that's true. But why? Because, because that's what Salmon P. Chase said he should do, but then he reversed course in another decision. And, of course, the issue is that the prosecution said that that's not how the 14th Amendment worked. The prosecution said it. Contemporary information provides direct evidence of the enduring reach of the 14th Amendment, the historians wrote. Congress chose to make disqualification permanent through a constitutional amendment. Republican Senator Peter Van Winkle of West Virginia said, this is to go into our Constitution and to stand to govern future insurrection as well as the present. To this end, the Amnesty Acts of 1872 and 1898 did not pardon future insurrectionists. Again, they're making a case here that doesn't really even apply. Because Trump hasn't been convicted of insurrection. But here's the real kicker, and this is why they did it. The historians also said adverse consequences followed. Amnesty. Many ex-Confederates winning office and participating in the imposition of racial discrimination in the South had violated the intent of the 14th and 15th Amendments. You see, that's the real issue here. This is why it's politically motivated, because they're saying, if we do this, if we don't do this, we're going to get racism in America. It's coming back. This is what these people wring their hands about every day. They wake up thinking that tomorrow we're going to see Jim Crow instituted back in the United States again. If Trump wins, that's what we're getting. We're getting this. It's what it's all about. It's what it's always all about. And they're so stupid, they can't even get out of their own way. The historians concluded the court should take cognizance that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment covers the present, is forward-looking, and requires no additional acts of Congress for implementation. False. False. We know it's false. Because it said that Congress actually had to set rules. Now, again, Chase made this argument, and, and they get into that. But when you look at the 14th Amendment... I mean, just go and read Section 5. The Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. The Congress shall have power. So, again, reading Section 3. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector or president or vice president or to hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having had previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid and cover to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. So Congress can get rid of it by two-thirds vote. And Congress can also enforce it. 
Section 5, the Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. It doesn't mean it's self-executing. It means Congress can do it. Again, Congress has done nothing. Because there has to be some type of definition of insurrection or rebellion. What is that? You can't just say, I think this is insurrection. And that's it. You're disqualified. Think about what that does. And I think that the prosecution was actually on track when it said, you can't, you can't do that. You can't just say this is self-executing. Uh, because a bill of attainder is legislation or anything that imposes punishment on a specific person or group of people, this is the definition, without a judicial trial. There's been no trial. Trump has not been convicted of treason. So to say that this is self-executing, doesn't, it just doesn't work. Or to say that Trump is not qualified because of this doesn't work because there's been no trial. I mean, look, due process is clear. Trump would have to be brought up on charges of insurrection and convicted of them in order to be disqualified anywhere. And you know what hasn't happened yet? That. So all this is just wishful thinking. It's just special pleading by these 25 dopey historians. Now look, James McPherson, he's a preeminent Civil War historian. James McPherson doesn't even care what his own evidence says at times. He still just makes political statements because James McPherson's a leftist and he doesn't want Donald Trump on the ballot. And same thing with all these other idiots on this list too. Some political and legal observers have suggested Trump should be allowed to run regardless of the Constitution because to bar him would be anti-democratic. Now again, that's a stupid argument. Look, Trump is going to be on the ballot if the Republican Party wants him there, unless he's convicted of treason or insurrection, and then, of course, he could be barred for the 14th Amendment. That's not going to happen, right? The Supreme Court would have to get involved in this in some way, and they're not going to do it. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a 5-4 to decision. They're going to keep him on the ballot, and that'll be that. And all this hot air that these historians want to sit here and say. Again, what we've done is decided that the 1860s Republican Party is American history. That their positions matter more than anything else. In a forthcoming article for the New York Review of Books, seen by the Guardian, Sean Valencia Princeton, another Marxist, I mean, that's what he is, an eminent historian not part of the Supreme Court brief called such arguments risable. Risable. They're risable. By that, their reasoning, Valence writes, Trump's misdeeds aside, enforcement of the 14th Amendment poses a greater threat to our wounded democracy than Trump's candidacy. In the name of defending democracy, they would uh, speciously enable the man who did, who did the wounding and now promises to do much more. He promises to do much more. Trump and allies, including Elise Stanifik of New York, a House Republican leader, have refused to commit to certifying the results should Trump lose in November. Valens continues, whether motivated by fear of Trump's base, a perverted sense of democratic even-handedness, a reflexive hostility towards liberals, or something else, commentators say Trump should say on the ballot, betray a basic ignorance of the relevant history and thus a misconception of what the 14th Amendment actually meant and means. 
That history, meanwhile, has placed the conservative members of the Supreme Court in a very tight spot. Valent says, just as you subscribe to originalism, the, a doctrine that purports to divine the original intentions of the framers of the Constitution by presenting tendacious renderings of the past as kind of scripture, will in the Colorado case have to contend with evidence, as presented by the historian's brief, of what the framers of the 14th Amendment meant. This is the 14th Amendment originalism argument. You see, this is uh, Randy Barnett and others. It's the 14th Amendment originalists. Because the 14th Amendment is now the original Constitution. So they are going to have to contend with that. But the real question is, and you can use the prosecution, this is a bill of attainder. Trump has not been convicted of anything. He's not been given due process. You can't just say the man's an insurrectionist, he's off the ballot. Because we say he is. That's what they're saying we need to do here. There's been no war, right? I mean, in 1868, it was clear that for four years, there were people shooting each other in the United States. I mean, literally shooting each other in the United States. So if Lincoln called it an insurrection, we had armed resistance to Lincoln. Armed resistance. Now, the last time I checked, Trump left office. He didn't try to stay in office with a military coup or any of that. He didn't, he didn't engage in an insurrection. He didn't do any of that. Um, he was questioning whether the election was valid. And we'll see when we get to 2024 and Trump's on the ballot again, because that's going to happen. And Trump's running for office. It depends. I mean, I've seen whispers now that Joe Biden might be removed this spring and that Michelle Obama might come on. I don't think it's time yet. I think, I think they're going to let Biden hang in the wind. Because I think what they really want to do more than anything else is destroy Donald Trump. And look, if Joe Biden can win in 2024, they destroy Donald Trump. If he can't beat Biden in 2024, Trump is done. And Michelle Obama needs to be the savior later, not now. They need to get Biden back in. And, and I don't know. It, look, I don't think they're going to do it in May. I think Biden's going to get the nomination in August. And what's going to happen pretty soon, if the polls look really bad, something Biden's going to have some kind of health crisis or something, and then you're going to see a push to get Obama on there. But, uh, you know, Michelle Obama, yeah, she's, she's going to be uh, part of the process at some point in the future. Probably 2028. Because there's no one the Republicans can run in 2028. You see, that's the problem, too. The Republicans don't have a star. I mean, we've seen it. Ron DeSantis, great governor of Florida, um, is he a star, though? He, he faced a lot of problems. And, and I've said this. You know, this isn't his time. 2028, if he runs against Obama, he loses. And, of course, that crushes that star. So what they're going to try to do is set it up to where we have a situation where the Democrats hold office for another 12 years. I mean, that's what they want to do. But... Uh, this is important. 14th Amendment original, originalism is what people are going to use now. And the, the other key here is that Trump has not been convicted of insurrection. We, again, we, we know that that hasn't happened. So just because you say it is doesn't mean it actually is. There has to be some type of evidence. And look, in 68, we know that there are, again, four years of shooting at each other. You could say that if you want to say it was an insurrection or rebellion, I mean, that was something. But again, 
they were worried if this went to trial, would that actually happen? So they just had this and then they just kind of went through it. And You could make a stronger case in 68 than you can in 2024. Valent says, justices who subscribe to originalism, a doctrine that purports... I just read that. Recently used to remove the right to abortion and to gut voting rights. Originalism now threatens, Valent says, to become a petard exploding in the majority's face. He also writes, the conservative majority of the Supreme Court and the historical legacy of, of Chief Justice John Roberts have reached a point of no return. The law, no matter the diversions and claptrap of Trump's lawyers and the pundits, is crystal clear on incontestable historical as well as originalist grounds. The conservatives face a choice between disqualifying Trump or shredding the foundations of their judicial methodology. Oh yes, it's that decision right now. All they have to say is, Trump's never been convicted of insurrection. This is a bill of attainder. No. It's that simple. No, it's a bill of attainder. The Constitution is very clear. Congress would have to actually pass legislation to this, calling this an insurrection, calling these people out, saying that this was an insurrection, and that that's what we had, and that's it. You'd have to do it. Just because this section says that if you engage in insurrection, you're disqualified from office. The Constitution is pretty clear on there has to be some other thing going on here, right? There has to be something saying this is an insurrection, something saying this is treason. In fact, that's what was brought by Cynthia Nicoletti. Well, if it went to trial, then they'd probably lose. There has to be a jury trial here. And you know what? Trump won't be convicted of insurrection. They're going to have to get that through somehow. And it's not happening. If the court does not honor the original meaning of the 14th Amendment and disqualified Donald Trump, Valence writes, it will trash the Constitutionalist defense of democracy designed following slavery's abolition. <laughs> you see, it always goes back to that. They're going to throw in that issue because this is really just about race. They want to paint anyone who opposes this as some type of Jim Crow wannabe racist. It's 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 really disgusting in a way. It will guarantee at minimum political chaos no matter what the voters decide in November and it will quite possibly pave the way for a man who has vowed that he will, if necessary, rescind the Constitution in order to impose a dictatorship of revenge. No, he hasn't done that. I mean, good grief. These people live in a fantasy world. They live in a fantasy world. So. And to think that somehow the Constitution is a block on anything right now is, I mean, again, it's another fantasy world. The Constitution hasn't been enforced in a long time. We're seeing right now the President of the United States neglecting the Constitution on the border of the United States, the southern border. We're seeing it right now. Willful neglect. Negligence. Of course, that's an impeachable offense, but nobody's bringing Joe Biden to uh, to task for that. But it is. It's an impeachable offense. And we're going to impeach the, potentially impeach the head of the Department of Homeland Security, but not Joe Biden. If the buck stops with the president, if we have executive government because it has energy and accountability, well, then Joe Biden should be impeached, not his DHS secretary. That's, pre that's presenting a fall guy and not going after Biden himself. Ridiculous. This is why the Republicans have no backbone. But anyways, I found this piece to be completely fascinating. And of course, the historians who signed on to this are showing who they really are. A bunch of partisan activists, not historians. Because if they were, 
They would tell the whole story. Why did Salman Pichay say this? What about the other side of it? What about the prosecution? What about the other judges said, no, no, this doesn't work. That, that defense of the 14th Amendment is not right. That doesn't work. What about that judge, who, by the way, was a Republican? You see, you can cherry pick all you want. But at the end of the day, if you show the whole story, it doesn't really fit with this amicus brief from these 25 Civil War and Reconstruction scholars, many of whom are just happy that their name appeared on a document like this because it's all about publicity for them. And, oh, look what I did. Look, look, I got my name on something. Anyways, see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.